0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we are going to be looking at the case of H.A. Iraq and Secretary of State for the Home Department. The citation for this case is 2022, UKSC 22. The case that we're looking at this week is another immigration case that looks at the circumstances when foreign criminals can be deported under section 117C. Of the Nationality Immigration and Asylum Act 2002. Under the legislation, a foreign criminal is defined as a person who is not a British citizen, is convicted in the UK of an offence and receives a prison sentence of at least 12 months. These foreign criminals are then divided into two categories. Firstly, we have medium offenders who receive a prison sentence of between 12 months and 4 years Then we have serious offenders who receive a prison sentence of more than four years. There are a couple of legal exceptions that come into play that mean a person can potentially avoid deportation. The first one is to do with the length of the offender's lawful residence in the UK and how integrated they are into this country, but that doesn't have much bearing on this appeal. The second exception is when the offender has a qualifying partner or child and the deportation of the offender would produce an unduly harsh effect on the partner or child. This is known as the unduly harsh test. However, when dealing with serious offenders, those sentenced to more than four years, section 117c subsection 6 tells us that there must be, quote, very compelling circumstances over and above those described in exceptions 1 and 2, end quote. This is known as the Very Compelling Circumstances Test. Now even if a medium offender cannot satisfy the unduly harsh test, they can still avoid deportation if they show that the Very Compelling Circumstances Test is met. In other words, it can be more of an either-or situation for them because of the slightly less serious nature of their offence. For the Very Compelling Circumstances Test, a full proportionality analysis must be carried out between On the one hand, the right to a private and family life under Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, and on the other hand, the public interest in the deportation of the offender. That is all quite a lot to take in, but our main focus in this case will be on these two tests, the Unduly Harsh Test and the Very Compelling Circumstances Test. These proceedings are actually a conjoined appeal concerning three offenders, where the facts are not especially important, but... For the sake of completeness, we have H.A. and R.A. who are from Iraq, and are medium offenders. Then we have A.A. from Nigeria, who is a serious offender. Their cases made their way to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. The unduly harsh test was considered by the justices first of all, and they immediately made reference back to the 2018 Supreme Court case of K.O. Nigeria and Secretary of State for the Home Department. It was argued here that the Court of Appeal failed to follow that decision because it did not compare the degree of harshness experienced by a qualifying child on the deportation of an offender with the degree of harshness experienced by any child, known as the notional comparator. However, in the lead judgment, Lord Hamblin rejected this argument for a number of reasons. Firstly, the overall decision in K.O. shows that there was no intention to create any sort of notional comparator test. Indeed, creating such a baseline would include children who would not be that affected by the deportation of a parent, even if they have a real relationship with that parent. Such a baseline for supposed undue harshness would clearly not be acceptable and goes against the high standard that the Supreme Court attempted to establish in K.O. It was also pointed out that establishing such a baseline would be difficult when there are so many variables in play, and might also fail to end up taking into account the best interests of the child. Instead, judges should follow the guidance that was stated to be authoritative in K.O., i.e. the direction of the upper tribunal in the 2015 case of M.K. Sierra Leone and Secretary of State for the Home Department. This stated, quote, Unduly harsh does not equate with uncomfortable, inconvenient, undesirable, or merely difficult. Rather, it poses a considerably more elevated threshold. Harsh, in this context, denotes something severe or bleak. It is the antithesis of pleasant or comfortable. Furthermore, the addition of the adverb unduly raises an already elevated standard still higher. End quote. Clearly then, that is a pretty high standard that places the proportionality assessment in favour of the public interest when it comes to evaluating foreign criminals. Lord Hamlin then moved on to the very compelling circumstances test, and the question here was about how much relevance and weight should be given to rehabilitation, and also how the seriousness of the offending should be assessed. Generally speaking, the test is applied by looking at all of the circumstances of the case, and balancing that against the very strong public interest in deportation of foreign criminals. A number of relevant factors have been identified by the European Court of Human Rights over the years, but the exact weight that those factors are given can vary between member states because national authorities are given a margin of appreciation. Now, when it comes to the seriousness of the offence, the question is how should judges assess how serious an offence is? In the HA and RA cases, the Court of Appeal did this by mainly looking at the sentence that had been imposed, but the Secretary of State argued that this was not correct because there was too much emphasis on this and not enough focus on other criteria. The Supreme Court did note that the sentence that is imposed does reflect a range of considerations beyond the seriousness of the offence. However, an immigration tribunal may have very little information about the circumstances of the crime committed beyond the sentence imposed, and so it is legitimate for them to rely on the sentences as a guide. It is possible that the tribunal might also have access to the sentencing remarks, and in that situation they might be able to look at other factors that affected the sentence aside from the seriousness of the offence. One of the clearest examples would be a guilty plea, That might reduce a sentence in spite of the seriousness of the offence, and this is something a tribunal could take into account. Another example would be the nature of the offending, and consideration of that by the judges is something that is supported by Strasbourg jurisprudence. All of this analysis was applied to the cases at hand. HA and RA's cases were omitted, while it was decided that in AA's case there was no error of law, and the first-tier tribunal was entitled to decide that the effect of deportation would be unduly harsh. As is often the case with these immigration decisions, my first port of call is Asad Khan's wonderful blog, asadakhan.wordpress.com, that you should definitely take a look at if you get a chance. He correctly points out that this decision represents a failure for the Home Secretary as she tried to confirm the existence of the notional comparator test. Furthermore, this judgement reiterates the notion that it is the first-tier tribunals that are best placed to make decisions based on the facts of the cases and the appeal courts from the upper tribunal onwards should be loath to interfere with such decisions. Khan then concludes in the final paragraph of his post with, What else can we learn? Well, you can bring on the government QCs and throw public money down the drain on exorbitant legal fees in meritless appeals. Trying to concoct clever little arguments here and there. But let's face it, folks, if you've got a crap case, you've got a crap case, and you won't be able to pay your way to victory in the Supreme Court, as these appeals so vividly demonstrate. End quote. I quite agree, but would take this conclusion a little bit further. This failure in the courts will not be enough to stop the present government, and this decision will only be seen as a speed bump along the road of establishing an even harsher immigration policy. In fact it will be judgments like this that are used to justify the approach taken as human rights are criticised for getting in the way of the government's intentions. We are currently in the middle of a leadership contest where both of the candidates are trying to outright wing the other in a desperate bid to appeal to the base of the Conservative Party. And even if that rhetoric does not translate directly to policy, we are still likely to see a Home Secretary, whether that be Patel or someone else by the end of the year, Who seeks to further twist the law and force judges' hands when it comes to making these decisions? Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com, who provide the theme music. A quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. This week in the newsletter we have been looking at the uh, Archie Battersby case and considering some of the other top legal news stories. If that sounds like something you're interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye! (music)